0: Thank you, Leslie and Paul. Trust everyone's having a good Sunday. Well, that was rambunctious. (laughs) At any rate, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's go to, uh, actually I have two texts today, which is a little bit rare for me, but um, gives us a little different angle on what we're going to be talking about. Well, first of all, turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you. Romans chapter 12, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1, goes this way, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, as you're turning there, uh, the context of this is Jesus had met a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, and there's a part of that dialogue that I'd like to read right now. In John chapter 4, we begin at verse 20 through verse 24. The woman said this, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say, That in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh. And now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. May God add a special blessing in the reading of His Word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, thank You for the day. Thank You for Your love, for Your care, for Your grace, and Your unending mercy. Father, we can't even imagine the blessings that we have that are untold that you've given to us father we'll thank you for the opportunity we have now to look to the word of god to be strengthened to be encouraged we would ask for your wisdom to be imparted to us father that you would relationally never be closer than you will of because of these moments we have with you now father direct our thoughts uh, go to the very depths of our hearts. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our soul instructor and teacher today using the word of God to take it that word that is to the innermost parts of our being. Well, thank you for what you're going to accomplish. We thank you again for the opportunity we have to gather in your name to worship, to praise, and to look at your word with confidence because it's reliable, it's true, it's full of love. And Father, we thank you for all that you're accomplishing in our lives, one step at a time. And now we ask for where we're weak, that you would make us strong, that we would see what you want us to see today. Thank you now in Christ's name, amen. Uh, We've been a couple of weeks in the book of Luke in chapter 12. Those of you that have been uh, with us. And uh, just as a matter of review, uh, tell me the two things that we were to... Now, again, let's just kind of set up our context. I think it's rather uh, important, obviously, always is, but Jesus was, uh, it was a Jesus rally. Quite honestly, it was at the pinnacle in the sense of attendance, maybe already going on the backside of the sense of acceptance. He had, he had made his case... There are the Pharisees and Sadducees who were directly and diametrically opposed to all that he was because he really got right to the heart of the matter. He was able to, to get right, divide truth from untruth. He was able to look through them, if you will, infuriated them. And there was two things in this massive gatherings. We're, we're, were thought It's thought to th- probably a neighborhood of forty or 50,000 people, which that's, in Jesus' time was an amazing amazing thing and how he kept that group of people together is even more amazing but again we spoke about that in the last couple of weeks the reasons they were there were very multiple one of them was just for having a miracle done they probably brought a loved one someone that had been suffering from some some malady for who knows how long and they knew jesus had healed they knew that he had power over diseases. It may even been someone that was demon-possessed. They had saw that in the, in the previous thing. And there were those that were there just to catch him, to have, oh, let's just wait for Jesus to mess up so that we can pin him to the wall. And ultimately, the Pharisees Sadducees and the scribes had already moved through the sense of dislike to wanting to kill him. They were there for that per- sole purpose, And then there was those that were there, not only his 12 disciples, those that were there with an an unimaginable dedication to following through. But there were also those that were called disciples that were learners. And those were the ones that he was focused on. He wanted to know those that were still listening, that were still uh, making up their mind, if you will. Those were who he was addressing. So with that given as our, as our, our setting, our context, in, in the last couple of weeks, we looked at two things that Jesus spoke of early on in this. And actually, we, we stopped in chapter 12 of Luke, not because he was done. Because it, there was something that just through this course of week, because of the two bewares, that I felt, let's just go here for a little bit. So the two bewares were what? As a matter of uh, recollection and review, uh, Jesus said, first of all, beware of hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. And he looked exactly to the spiritual aspect of the Pharisees. Those that quite honestly said they knew God and they didn't. There were those that knew the truth, they said, but they didn't. There were those that said they loved God, but they didn't. And he began to unfold the package that the only way you can get to God is through Jesus. The only way you can get to Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. And he laid all of that out and I'm sure the Pharisees must have been seething. Because they saw Jesus nothing more than really an abomination, an illegitimate son, which they called him on numerous occasions. They saw him as a son of Satan, which those people, there was many there on the seats, so to speak, that were see what do you mean, the son of Satan? How could he possibly act and teach this way? And then the second beware was to beware of greed or covetousness. And we spent last week talking a great deal about that. So if you think about that. The uh, the illegitimacy of the spiritual leaders the, they they were engaged and engrossed in hypocrisy, and then the other side of it, and the material side, the, the physical side of the world, is to be so enhanced, so trapped by greed and covetousness. To be your life is filled totally with that. Now, what I was, what I, you know, I, I I struggle where to go next, and I shouldn't struggle as much as I should just be listening more, right? God, where do you want us to go? And it was even last night, in the middle of the night, it was just like, "God, I'm not sure, but where, where do you want us to go? And I'm still waiting. No. I can't. <laughs> but it seems like this, where our heart is and that's literally, if you describe the Pharisees, where was their heart? Their heart was in really deceiving others, making themselves to look fantastic. It was all about themselves. You've heard the term narcissism, and it, it's probably never been more prevalent in our country than it is today. It's amazing. that the higher up in the sense of leadership and roles and authority, the more narcissistic our society has become. It was no different then. Uh, the Pharisees and scribes, very, very about me. It was a me. Uh, if you remember, those, remember the, uh, those two praying, there was a publican, which would be a sinner. I literally just viewed that way, someone that would be low of low. And then there was the... Pharisee, a religious person, and they were praying and the Pharisee, at the set time, appeared out in the front of everyone and gave this beautiful rhetorical view of talking to God and Then the publican, the sinner, was actually he was beating his chest, saying, "Woe to me, a sinner he was he was actually in humility and, and in ashes and dust and who do you think god heard exactly where was the pharisee's heart it was all about them and then if you take that one that was caught up in greed and covetousness and think of that young man that uh, i say young man i don't know that but the man that came to jesus in the middle of this huge dissertation about how you get to god and he just said uh master would you tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me just boom out in the middle of nowhere where was his heart It was me again, and it was on a different level. It wasn't necessarily a spiritual hypocrisy. It was just to be consumed with earthly goods and materialism. And so one of the things that I was thinking about was, you know, where our heart is, is where we're worshiping. Because you, now let's help, help me for a minute. What is worship? That's kind of a stuffy word even, isn't it? Remember as a kid, we've got to go worship God. Oh, yippee. Right? We can relax here. It's it's okay. Yeah, we're in church and all of that. But at the same time, worship doesn't necessarily just conjure up enthusiasm and enlightenment and excitement most of the places. Why? Why is that? Because I've just described for you, the Pharisees were very worshipful. Themselves. That young man, why do I call him a young man? I don't know, but he's dividing inheritance. Where he's consumed. He's worshiping what? Money. Wealth. You step out downtown Sheridan. Do you know every single person that, can, that, that knows right from wrong is worshiping something or someone? That's the way God made us. We're made to worship. And we worship even when we don't know that we are. Because where your sincerity is, where your heart is, is who you are worshiping. Now, Jesus said very clearly, he said, don't be like the Pharisees and don't be like the worldly covetous people. I was thinking, boy, it's pretty important for us to maybe know the acceptable true worship of God. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? In fact, the Bible is filled; it's literally full to capacity of how much God wants to know us. He wants to intimately be in a relationship with us. Adam and Eve—I think of that. Was that not? Was that not, I want—I want to be there, and we're going to be there someday. We're going to be there someday to walk with Jesus. Walk with God. I'm sorry. To walk with God in the afternoons, just taking a stroll through the Garden of Eden. What do you think they visited about? You know, it doesn't matter. They were communing with God. That's why, and the reason I say that is literally God wants the same thing for us today. And yes, sin is somewhat of a barrier. We're going to talk about three barriers. Don't let me forget that. Before we leave here today, uh, well, unless we get hung up, it's never happened before, but just in case, uh, there are three barriers that hinder us from worshiping fully and freely. We want to talk about those as we end. I, I think I want to end with that. But so, worship. Uh, tell me, what are you guys thinking? What do you think about worship? Why are you here today? Acknowledging who God is, is, right? Now, did you notice uh, in John chapter 4, where Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, and she was trying to... We kind of just dove into a section of that. Um, Jesus had just really just relayed her personal life without her knowing him at all. And in the verse previous to this, where she changed the subject... Because she knew he was a Jew, but she said, she, I perceive you to be a prophet. As he's just told her that she's not married to her fifth husband. And she's, so she deflects and said, well, yeah, you know, we, we worship here in, uh, well, in our city, and you Jews, you worship in, in Jerusalem. What did that have to do with anything we're talking about? Nothing, but you know, there was a great division between Samaritans and Jews in the sense of the place of worship. And Jesus used the opportunity really to, to, it's for us today, true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And I don't know how much of that she got, but what a wonderful passage for us. God desires worship from us. And in the Old Testament, we could could spend a number of weeks actually just, just looking at incidents, example of example of example of what God desired from especially his chosen people and the ways he went about it, to worship. Uh, We talked several weeks ago in the sense of, uh, well, no, it would have been uh, in in, uh, direct opposition to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, we we would have been talking about a fear of God, an honest reverence, honoring of God. That, I think, goes right along where we're at today in the sense of how do we worship God? How do we worship God? Do you have to be in church? Do we have to be here today? In other words, let's say you guys missed uh, coming uh, to church last week and Sunday. does it mean you couldn't worship then? No, in fact, that Jesus was pretty clear in John chapter 4. It's not a matter of where we worship. It's not a matter of who we're with when we worship. Now, granted, there is something special about a group of believers unanimously Worshipping and praising God together. There's something about that that energizes each and every one of us because we come to church not to get. When I hear someone that says, "Well, I just, I, I just can't. I don't want to go anywhere. I just don't get anything." That's the wrong attitude because we go to church to give, and that's what Romans chapter 12 is all about. Let's let's start with that passage and then let's start begin to work uh, through that. Romans chapter 12. Again, reading, we'll read verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, Paul is saying this, I beseech you, I'm urging you, I'm commanding you, if you will, therefore, we'll be talking about that in just a second, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to stop there. Um, is anyone else reading out of a different version today? Reasonable service, those last couple of verses, what do you have there? Potentially worship, correct? Paul, what are you reading out of today? This is new American Standard. Okay. What does it have there, the last couple of words there in verse 1, chapter 12? Um, I, I'll just yeah, go ahead. Just just read the verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brother, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your... Spiritual worship. There it is. Okay. Now, some of the other NIV would have that. It was spiritual worship. Um, in, the, in the King James, we have reasonable service, which both of them are very, very adequate. But, but the sense that I wanted was the spiritual worship. This, this, now, what he's described for us is spiritual worship. Now, one of the things behind worship, I always think of every time that I see or hear the word worship, I think of worthship. It's worth worshiping God because he's worth it, because he deserves it. So, literally, the motivation for this service, for this worship, is what? One of the things we, we talk about is, is motivation. Well, I suppose I better go to church. I should go uh, without, without raising any guilt in anyone because I've done it. I should go. Why should I go? well, it's the right thing to do. Well, why is it the right thing to do? Well, because I gotta. Okay, now do you you, you see this thing? That is not worship. Even if you get there and you gotta and you did it because you shoulda and you got in there and you sat down and you did everything that you're supposed to, if you did it with insincerity, you missed out. Now we can worship imperfectly, but you cannot worship Insincerely, In, is that the right word insincerely or unsin which one is it insincerely you cannot worship without i'm going to do it this way you cannot worship without sincerity because that is what god would know perfectly perfectly none of us are perfect but when you come with sincerity where does sincerity come from from your heart If you don't, if the motivation for worship does not come from the very inner part of your heart or soul, whichever word you want to use, then you missed worship. You may say if you went to a worship service. You may have said that you went to worship with other people. There's a couple of things we know about worship. Worship will change you. If you're not changed, you didn't worship. Whoa, that's a little incriminating, isn't it? But it's absolutely true. Because we'll be talking about that, too. What does worship ultimately... If you you continue to go through just week after week, year after year after year, and you haven't really moved spiritually, I'm going to tell you what you haven't done. You haven't worshipped. Because worship changes us. Whoa. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? But it starts from the heart. It must be out of sincerity. That's why Jesus Christ... That's what lays into Luke chapter 12. He despised what the Pharisees were trying to sell on the street. Hypocrisy. They pretended that they worshipped. And God hates that. In fact, it's not even something that God received. There's an acceptable form of worship. And to not be sincere, it's not even received. Now, how about... uh, Let's talk about this for just a second. Do you have to have music... When you worship, does music, uh, music, does music get worship going? Now I went from my, uh, right? Where did we say that worship originates? From the heart. Okay. Do you know what motivates our worship? Now that's what we're going to use in our text in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The next thing we're going to ask is, what is the motivation for worship? What is it that gets us to worship? What is it that drives us to literally worship God? In fact, he, he describes it for us right here, in verse one. He says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the motivation for worship is the mercies of God." Now, let's start talking. You know what? You know we didn't talk about the therefore, and you know I me mean, that long enough to know if there's a therefore we need to see what it's there for what he's done in chapters 1 through 11 of romans which we don't have enough time to fully unpack that but he's been talking about god he's been talking about literally tell me what mercy is again mercy is excuse me not getting the punishment. yes you're not getting are not giving you what you deserve what do we deserve just let's say this. Now, we always, we always want to think about this. We deserve death. Yes, but you know what we deserve? Nothing. We deserve nothing. So think of that. I want you to think about it that way. The mercies of God, everything we have is because of the mercies of God. Even grace, which is grace is giving us what we don't deserve. But grace is even a mercy. Because we've been given are not given what we deserve, and that is death. And there's nothing we deserve. Think of that. So let's start talking about some of the mercies that God has unfolded on us. Tell me, let's just start naming them. There should be dozens. Let's just start. Life. Eternal life, by the way. Eternal life. Think of that. Uh, It's hard for us as finite beings to even comprehend the significance of eternal anything. And there's eternal life. There's eternal joy. There's eternal peace. There's eternal grace. There's eternal love. You guys want to keep adding? How about justification? Literally through the gift of grace. It's not, it's more than just as if we hadn't sinned. It's bigger than that. It's fuller. It's more assurance, security, sanctification. Why should we even have the opportunity to, to have a process in which we continue to get closer to God? That's the mercy of God. How are we doing? We're just starting to now we're just wetting your appetite. And you start to contemplate on that and your list of the mercies of God will be gigantic. And that's what motivates us to worship. So, where do we get that stuff from? Where do all of these things that we started unfold which was in Romans chapter 1. And I want to show you something. This is this this is absolutely it's it's so cool because Paul can't stand himself and we've come through ver- chapters 1 through 11 on Romans, and all of a sudden, boom, out of the blue, he just worships and blasts off a praise. Let's watch it. Let's go back to just before the therefore, which is in Romans chapter 11, and verse 33. Verse 33, and he's got a lot of stuff he talked about, even in Israel, the extent of them being set aside for a moment, or a time, I should say a time, not just a moment, a time, but that he hasn't set them aside ultimately because he still has them as his chosen people. But watch this. He, he, just, he un, just, he comes to the end and all of a sudden he can't stand anymore. And he says in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto me again for of him and through him and to him and of all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Now that's worship. Did you watch that? It was so cool. He was, he, was, he was working on what God had given him, and you get to that climax, and all of a sudden he couldn't stand it anymore, and he just worship God. That's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Do you think he was sincere? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was so cool, wasn't it? Now, that wasn't the only one. I'd like to look. There's one more that we actually went through, I think, this summer. Um, Let's see if we actually... Just a second. got to look at one thing. I think we find another one. Yeah, look at this. Turn to the end of Romans, the last chapter of Romans, chapter 16. And I mean, Romans, if you've been in a a church... I can't remember how many years it took us to go through Romans. Romans is a really, really... uh, a, a monster in the sense of doctrinal truths and theology. Romans chapter 16, and let's look at verse 25. He says in verse 24... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then he can't stand it. He's got to let loose one more time, and he says this. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, may known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And another... That's, that's another worship theme, isn't it? Boom! Now, one of my favorites, my absolute favorites, which we were working on uh, earlier this summer, is in uh, Ephesians. Let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 3. This one is so powerful. And it's, it's an in-betweener, if you will. Uh, and those of you that, uh, that know Paul's letters, how they unfold, is you have, he start, you've, got, you've got to think right before you can live right. You're not going to live right if you're not thinking right. That's a lot that's going on with our country today. Uh, Living is just the way it works out, but nobody's thinking properly. So if you can't think right, you're not going to live right. Paul always starts out right. He's going to get this all figured out. He says, let's work on what's right, let's work on what's true, and let's get your thought processes right. Then we'll talk about living right. He does that in every one of the epistles. So in Ephesians, you get this split. The first three chapters are all doctrine, and doctrine is really another word that... Oh, whole doctrine. No, doctrine is learning about the truth of God. It's so exciting because he's unveiled, unfolded. It's like pulling the curtains away on something that's never been opened before. It's a mystery, as Paul would say it. And the mystery of the Gentiles coming to Christ was a brand new thing. He opened the curtains, if you will, and he's unfolded a free gift to not only the Jews, to the Gentiles. Wow. New stuff. That's Doctrine, if you will. Now, watch this. He breaks into another one of these worshipful events in Ephesians chapter 3. in verse. uh, We could actually start back into verse, uh, well, that's a prayer. Verse 20, let's just do that right there, right at the end. Boom, before he starts, he says, verse 20, chapter 3 of Ephesians. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Think of that for a second. It's hard, isn't it? According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all of the ages, world without end. Amen. And they all said, Amen. <laughs> and then he starts off in chapter 4, and he starts unpack, taking the truths that they've learned, and now putting them into their lives and unfolding them. But there was this point, he just, I can't stand it. I got I to worship God right now. That's what I'm talking about. And it's in your spirit. It's in your heart. It's in the innermost part of who you are, is where it begins. Didn't really answer the question of music, though. Did you see how we kind of got away from that? Music is not the source of worship. Your heart and the motivator, again, for worship is what? The mercies of God. Where do you find the mercies of God? In His Word. In his word, if you're not partaking of the word of God, if you're not immersing yourself in the word of God. You're not going to be motivated because you must know more about God to be more worshipful. The more you know about him, the more motivated you are to know what he's done for you. Now, the other thing I'll say, this is absolutely no, no, if you do not know Christ personally, if you've never accepted him as your Lord, as your savior, trusted him with your life, it's impossible to worship him because you're not in the right frequency. And, and it's like, have you ever remember those old radios? Well, it doesn't even matter. If you have the wrong number, you're not going to be able to dial into the right station. I remember those old transistor radios. You know, <laughs> and then they'd come in for just a second, and they fade out, right? But, but you were dialing. What were you doing? You were finding the frequency that that band was being aired on. And if you didn't have the right frequency, It's the same thing. If you're a non-Christian, never trusted Christ, you can't be on the same frequency. You can't worship God. There's only one thing he's waiting for. I'm a sinner. I repent. I cannot help myself. I trust what you've done for me, God. What the scriptures say. Ah, it's amazing. You dial right into that frequency. Boom. It's like he, but he did it. The Holy Spirit, that's how you get to Jesus. And you get to God through Jesus, but you can't get to Jesus unless you have the Holy Spirit working and dialing the frequencies. That was kind of cool, actually, how that worked, wasn't it? But then you're locked on. Now you're on the worship channel. And if you're on the worship channel, now you're motivated by understanding what God has done for you. And that's where reading the Word of God is so fluid with all of his greatness. All the things he saved you from. All of the things he saved you onto. All of the things we look forward to because of what he accomplished. That's what motivates our worship. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Now, think of this now. If you go, I'm really, my notes are apparently, they're sort of jumbled in my head, so we're just bouncing around, but it sort of fits, I hope. Uh, I I want to think of two guys. I want you to think of two guys right now. And they were asked to bring an offering. And one of them God really liked. And the other one he didn't so much. Now, I want you to think about Was there anything necessarily just wrong with the offering itself? Or who am I talking about, first of all? You guys know who I'm talking about? Cain and Abel, Abel, right. Okay. So was it it the offering itself? I can't believe that it is. Other than God had specifically said what he wanted. But do you know what Cain, how his offering came? This is the word of my It became with an obligation. I have to do this. I have to give something to God. God's not going to accept that. If you're worshiping out of obligation, he's not hearing you. He's not hearing you. Because that would be insincerity. God knows your heart. He knows your heart better than you know your heart. You can't out-fool you can, you out God. No way. And that's why Cain's gift was not received. Literally, it was not received. Why was Abel's received? He gave of his best. He gave of what he wanted to give to God. You see the difference? And what made Cain furious was because God accepted his brothers and didn't accept his have to. It's like that all the time. You can go through the Old Testament. You can watch out, especially in Malachi. You can look at Malachi. You can look at Micah. And where the Jews were upset because God was not receiving their gifts, and he said, why should I? You're not giving them out of sincerity. It's a game. I don't play games. I want your heart. Remember Saul when he was rejected? (laughs) What did God say? I would rather have obedience than sacrifice. See, that's the same thing. And look, doesn't Romans 12 just fit right on that line? What is our... Now, that's it. We go for motivation. What manner of worship? Let's Let's look at the manner of it. You still in... uh, Oh, I took you to Ephesians. Turn back to Romans for a moment. Romans chapter 12. Let's look at the manner of worship. The motivation is, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God, now the manner of it is you present your bodies. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, a lot of the readers in, in Rome would have been somewhat caught up into the sacrificial system, particularly those of the Jews, they would have known what a sacrifice would have meant. And interestingly, um, that party, the person that was living out on the land, they would bring the lamb or some sacrifice, they would bring it to whom? To the priest. And then the priest would go in and offer it on the altar on behalf of that person that brought it. He was the go-between, if you will. But they had selected the animal for a purpose. They had given it. Do you get it back? No. No, that's God's. That's what I want to get you to. What, what Paul is suggesting here is outside of being motivated by the mercies of God, you need to give. Now, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean our bodies? Let's let's follow through on the whole thought process. This is the manner of which we're act we're asked to worship. You present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. How do you do that? What does that mean? Have you? Did someone do that this week? Everything, Everything. literally, whatever makes you you. It's on the altar of god's it's his well now that takes some doing doesn't it and it said did you see what it said again it said that's your reasonable service that's your spiritual worship short of that it's not acceptable aye, 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 right that's really asking for it right again what motivates us what would be we without god Zero. We would be nothing. But when you lay it all on the altar, when you lay it all out there in God, you take all of it. You're in charge of all. I trust you with it. That's worship. That's worship. You can do it in a group. You can do it by yourself. You can do it on the mountain. You can do it in a basement. You can do it working the the most horrible job you can think of doing and one of the most fun things you've ever been at. Because it doesn't matter where you're at. It's about you and God. It's your attitude. Is it heartfelt? Is it sincere? Those are the things that drive that. Now, how do you do it, though? How, how, how do you do that? I mean, when you, you don't just crawl on the altar and have someone tie you down, right? And then you just hang out there and by, you have to stay alive. So somebody comes to feed you once in a while or you just... I mean, Right? It seems absurd, doesn't it? So how do we do that? Well, he actually answered that question for us too. He goes on and he, how do we do that? Look at what he says. Let's go to verse 2. He has a negative and a positive. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So he lays it out. How do you, how do you uh, present your body, a living side, everything that you are? Your will, your focus, your desires... Everything that makes you, you, by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Word. Through the word. Now, there's something I want to encourage you. and, and, and Because you're, you're struggling. I can tell. Some of you, you're just struggling. That's, that's a really heavy investment. I mean, I don't even know if I understand fully what that means. But you can. What Part of that is, Is just the way it's worded, is you see yourself crawling on this altar, and someone's tying you down, and you're there. You're just there. When God does what he wants to do. The renewing of your mind. I want to show you something. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. There's something that happens to you when you have given your life to Christ. I think I'm right. I don't know where I wrote it down. Let's try that. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 16. Let's try that. See if I'm right. If not, I will struggle a little bit oh yeah look at this isn't this cool i, I love this verse <laughs> do, you, do you feel overwhelmed sometimes not you're reading it you shouldn't just, just wait before you do it you feel sometimes just totally overwhelmed by you the world is just weighing on you and i don't know what to do i don't know what's the next step watch watch this this verse is something you need to keep in mind now this is to only those that have trusted christ He says this in verse 16, chapter 2, verse 1 Corinthians. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's cool. (laughs) It's so cool. You have the mind of Christ if you're a believer. And guess what else lives within you is the Holy Spirit. Now think of that. The Holy Spirit using the word of God... And you literally have the mind of Christ then. You're able to, to discern and to see the way God is working in everything that's going on. Have you seen so much um, at high levels in politics and all of these sorts of things? It seems so amazingly clear that it's so wrong, right? But to the average person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, it looks good. <laughs> it looks good. Because what? They see it only through their lens, which is a dead-end street. For us, you can see through it. Why? Because you have the mind of Christ. That in itself allows us to even worship at a level that you can't even really comprehend. That's really cool. You have the mind of Christ within you. Renewing your mind. Turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. See, there's something that's taking place. And he does this. This is done uh, through worship, ultimately. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed. Changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as how? By the Spirit of the Lord. As we continually give ourselves to God, we are being changed. Worship changes. If you're not changing spiritually, you're not worshiping. Again, I've said that several times today, but it's absolutely true. There are things that happen when we worship. If you're not changing, then you're not worshiping. Okay, let's keep going. Got a lot of stuff to get through. How do you renew your mind? Well, it says not to be conformed. Let's go back to our text, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter... Do you have some... Sense that we're not going to get through John chapter 4? Are you kind of getting there too? Maybe so. Yeah. Let's try it though. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 for a moment. And uh, once again, let's look at the first one. It's a negative in the sense of renewing your mind. It it is to be not conformed to this world. Tell me what that means. Not being conformed to this world. What is this world? Let's start there. What What do you mean this world? What's this about? The system or the society in which we find ourselves engaged. We're citizens. Most, I think, probably all of us are probably citizens of the United States. We are, this is where we live, where we breathe, where we have rights. Some of them, not as many as we used to have, apparently, but we still live in a country that's provided to be free, okay? But this world, this system, this society is very tainted. How's it run? Who runs the system, the world? Satan Satan really does. And I mean, he's, he, play, he does not play fair. He lies, steals, cheats, and whatever it takes to be able to, to deceive and to alienate from God anything that would, would even attract us there. He's trying to, to... Now, he doesn't necessarily... It doesn't have to be against God. It's anything other than God. Because anything other than God is what? Exactly. And idolatry is the same as anything other than God in the sense of worship. That's what we're talking about today. We can only worship God. If you, if you're, if you have a divided heart, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. If you have a divided heart, you're not worshiping. What do you mean a divided heart? Okay. If, if, I'm, if I'm not solely and, I mean, just locked on to God, that's a divided heart. And we can't get there because you're, you have other appeals, other desires, other things that are sorting itself out. Now, again, you say, well, I'm not perfect. That's true. But it's a heart thing. And if you're not sincere about worshiping, That's a divided heart. And we know when we're sincere. We do. Sometimes in the mornings, this isn't necessarily a worshipful thing, but sometimes in the mornings, and if if this fits for you, you can smile. You don't have to raise your hand. But I'll start reading in the Bible, right? And I'm reading it. Sometimes I'll be on this uh, exercise bike because I, I like to do stuff other than just exercise. I don't know what the deal is about exercise. I don't exercise just exercise. But if I can be reading while I'm doing something, that's cool. Okay? So I'm reading... And uh, who knows, let's say I'm in Genesis and I'm reading and I'm going through. And all of a sudden my mind wanders over here somewhere and it's thinking about stuff that I'm thinking I'm going to do today. Now, amazingly, my eyes continue to cruise the text and chapters are rolling by and rolling by. And if you've read the Bible a lot of times, you kind of know what you're reading but where is my heart? It's somewhere else. And so you know what I got to do? I got to reel it back in. And I gotta, You know what I do? I force myself. I'm going to start over again. And I start over again. And there's some mornings it's, it's, it's so debilitating to think how many times I have to start over again. But you know what? The more I start over again, the more focused I become because I've made a habit of making sure that I want to have an undivided focus on the word. Now, I'm not talking about the phone ringing. I'm just talking my own mind. And do you see what that is? Part of that is is just being conformed to the world. And you must throw that out by the transforming Let's go on to the second one. It says, "Being not conformed, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind." Just that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. As you're reading the Word of God, you're you're filled up. And then we talked about walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, right? Remember, being keep on keeping being filled by the Spirit. You know, you're never. It's kind of like somebody if you were uh, if you were filling your gas tank in your car. I mean, you just had the hose and you were just filling it up constantly. You just never you never wanted to get any. So there was not room for another gallon. You want to be full, full, full all the time. That's exactly what it means to walk in the Spirit. And when we're like that, our mind is being transformed because it's continually being renewed by, as we, as we take in the Word of God, it's changing us just a little bit and a little bit and a little And that's one thing God loves us so much. He never wants to leave us where we're at. He wants to change us. He will change us. He will, because he loves us too much. Let's go to, uh, where did I lose my glasses now? ah, Tony's got me. He knows right where I'm at. I left them right on the chair. Okay, let's, uh, I read this. The more scripture you know, the more doctrine you know, the more worship you give. The more scripture you know, the more doctrine you know, the more worship you give. That is really, really true. Why? What is our motivation for worship? Understanding the mercies of God. The more you know about God, the more you will worship Him. Now, one of the things, uh, one of my favorite verses, and I... I shouldn't do that, should you? Do you guys have a favorite verses? That's sure. one of you that went a bit right into that. I do. I, I do. You know what? All of the word is profitable, isn't it? It's all profitable. But there's and there's. It's amazing how some of these verses change. My most favorite verses change almost all the time. So keeping that in mind, there's one that continually just it really comes with me because what did we say? What is the key to worship? Is your heart a sincere heart? Um. Go with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Uh, pro- Excuse me? No, Proverbs chapter 3. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Proverbs 4, 23. Now I sound like I've confused myself, so let me go to 4, 23 and see if I'm right. Proverbs 4, 23. Yeah, there it is. Keep your heart with all diligence or guard your heart. For out of it are the issues of life. That is such a critical verse. That's one you should have underlined. You should memorize it. You do something with it. Make sure that that just captures you because your heart is where all of the decisions are made. Worship decisions are made in your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Well, let's go, uh, let's go to John chapter 4 for a moment. Let's talk about a few things there. John chapter 4. And uh, one of the things that we spoke of already is the fact that the source of worship is salvation being redeemed to worship you are redeemed to worship god has saved you to worship him it's not just to get you a get out of hell free card okay that's not the purpose of him saving you there are a lot of people who believe that when they 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 get saved and then they put that get out of hell free card and they put it in their safe and that's all they care about that's just the end of the story no 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 a thousand times no that is he saved you for you to worship him and why do we worship Him? What's the motivation again? The mercies of God. He's allowed us so many wonderful things of which we should be ever grateful for. Let's uh, A couple things about the heart again. Are you? Let's go to Psalms for a moment. Psalms 103. Psalms 103. Let's go there. We've got a number of Psalms we're going to turn to. One of them we're going to talk about in the sense of an undivided heart or a fixed heart. But this one here, Psalm 103, and verse 1, Now, look at this. Uh, this is a psalm of David, and he gets right at the picture of where his worship comes from. He says, verse 1, chapter 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You see where worship comes from? comes from the inner parts of who we are. comes from the inner parts. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 9. Turn with me there. Romans chapter 1, and verse 9, says it just a little bit more succinctly, a little differently. Romans chapter 1, verse 9. This is uh, Paul speaking. For God is my witness. Romans chapter 1, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son. Do you see it? He's he's worshiping. He's He's serving him from his very soul. All right? Let's look at um, in the speed in, in looking at an undivided heart. Are you guys still in Psalms? Did, oh, I took you back to Romans. Turn us back to Psalms. There's a couple of there I'd like you to see. Psalm chapter 108, 108, and verse one. 108, verse one. Look at this. Another Psalm of David. David, uh, a man after God's own heart. Psalm chapter 108, verse one says this: "O oh God, my heart is fixed." I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Turn over to Psalm chapter 112. Psalm 112. He starts out in verse 1. Now, praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Now, turn down to verse 7 and verse 8. Same chapter, 112. He shall not be afraid of evil His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid. You notice a fixed, focused. Uh, Chapters fifty-seven of Psalm. Let's go there for a moment. Psalm chapter fifty-seven and verse seven. All of this showing the scriptures are filled with the sense of having an undivided heart, the whole heart. Psalm fifty-seven seven. Again from David. He's in a cave. Have you ever have you ever tried to get away from somebody in a in a cave? You should try that sometime. <laughs> You say, man, that wouldn't be great, would it? Think of that. David ran out, ran away from his father-in-law. I always like to say it that way. It's not just Saul. It was his father-in-law. He was married to Saul's daughter, and he's running for his life. And a lot of time he spent in the cave. You know how encouraging caves are? Especially when you're filled with other freaks and misfits that are just surrounding yourself because they don't have a home either. <laughs> right? It's terrible, right? You get depressed. But look at this. This is where he's at in Psalm chapter 57, verse 7. He says this, my heart is fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. He's focused. He's focused. One of the things about even our own hearts, and this is, I think this is, this will tie in a little bit later too, but let's go to Psalm 139 for a moment. Psalm 139. I think this is a very good thing for us in preparing, then we've also, we're going to talk about a few things in preparing our hearts for worship. Uh, Psalm chapter 139, and we'll start in verse 23 and 24. Another Psalm of David. Now, this is how he ends this Psalm. He says this in verse 23 of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see what he's saying? He says, I'm even looking at my heart. I'm not sure that I... I want you, God. I trust only you, God, to look at my heart. Would you reveal if there's something there that's not right? Tell me about it. I want to deal with it. That is so sincere. That is so humble. That is so worshipful. Right? See, when I'm there... And again, you don't, you don't worship with perfection, but you worship with sincerity. That's sincerity, isn't it? When you come to God, God, I don't, I don't even know if I'm right and pure before you right now, but I want you to check my heart. I want you to bring it to me and help me to get where you want me to be. That's worship. That's worship. That's worship. You see, David, he was a man that certainly wasn't perfect. We know that for sure. But you can see in spirit it from the soul, from the heart. That's where you meet God. Talk to me about, he said, in worship in spirit and in truth. Tell me about truth. What do you know about truth? Who asked the perfect question that really did ever get answered? Remember who that was? Pilate, Pilate what, did he, what, what did Pilate did like to ask? What is truth? It's almost like, in, to me, it's almost sarcastic. He's got Jesus. He doesn't even know the significance of who's before him. Because Jesus could have just went, snap, and Pilate would have been gone. And he says, And Jesus responded by truth, and he said, what is truth? Jesus answered his own question. Not right there, but remember in John chapter 17, verse 17? What did he say about truth? He said, thy word is truth. Write that down in your notes, John 17, 17. Our time is is going pretty quickly, so we're going to keep, I'm going to maybe go around a few things. I want to talk about, um, actually I have another one. Are you still in Psalms? turn back to psalm 47 7 let's look at, take a look at that one real quickly psalm 47 7 i don't remember it right off hand oh just uh yeah this would be a over the top it says this psalm 47 7 sing praises to god sing praises sing praises unto our king sing praises for god is the king of all the earth sing ye praises with understanding what does that mean with understanding with truth, you know. Sometimes it, it, I, wanna, I gotta be really careful. How I say this right now, but music just by itself, saying very little theolo- theologically, misses the truth part of the spirit and truth. It has to be balanced together. In other words, if you sing three words 18 million times, probably not gonna get it. We must have what it said. Sing praises what with what was the word? Understanding. That's exactly right. Exactly right. There's, so, I think it's John MacArthur. He says the seven eleven verse are the seven eleven songs. There's seven words, and they sing them eleven times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one time through's great. It's not, but but you see what I'm saying? Repetition without having truth misses the mark. That's why the good old hymns are pretty significant, aren't they? They really are. How great thou art, blessed assurance, standing on the promises. Those were written with a great deal of theology in them. I don't know why I named those three, but they were just, just popped out. But the hymns have a tremendous amount of theological worth. Not to say that, we, that there are songwriters today that aren't magnificent, but it's more than just a, 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 a non-weighty, kind of a fluffy stuff. That's not worship. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Music can guide us. It can help us there, but it's an external, it's an external release of what comes from our heart. If you start with music, you've missed it. You've missed it. It comes from the heart and just comes out. That's what the Psalms are doing. Let's keep going. So I want to go to uh, results of worship. Results of worship. You're you're already in Psalms. Let's continue. Turn back to, where did I leave you? 47. perfect. Just turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50 and verse 23. I was a long ways away, but Psalm 50, verse 23. Let's look at this. Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. The one thing that is a result of worship is, number one, God will be glorified. That's what God wants. There's no secrets about that. You can read from the first part of Genesis all the way through. In fact, here's a little test. Do you know the first time that worship shows up in Genesis? We're going to be looking at that in a minute. It's okay. You don't need to know right now, but you can think about it. Where's the first time that worship? Worship. Huh, that's interesting. I don't know. Well, keep thinking about it. Results of worship, God will be glorified. Uh, Secondarily, Christians are purified. Turn back to Psalm chapter 24. It's amazing how Psalm is speaking to us, isn't it? Psalms chapter 24 and verse 4. Psalm 24, 4. And we're going to speed up to finish today. How about that? Psalms so 24.4, it says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. The other thing that will happen as a result of worship is you, if you're a Christian, that is, Christians will be purified. We all Remember, remember we looked in Psalm 139, 23 and 24? Even this, this is even another level. David wasn't even sure of his heart. He says... I'm a, I'm just a sinner. Can you, can you, can you look at my heart, God, and tell me what I've missed in here? I want to get it right. That's what made him. What, what that's why it was said of him. David was a man after God's own heart because he wanted his heart to be right. That's so important. That's so vitally important about worship. He worshipped so much. Number three, the results of worship is number one was God will be glorified. Christians are purified. The church is edified. It's built up. It's transformed. We live better, honestly. Look at, uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. For a moment. We're moving. We're cruising now. We haven't got much left. We're we'll done by dark. <laughs> well, you're still awake. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Now, watch. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Watch what he says. Let all things be done unto edifying. When the church is worshiping, the church is being edified. It's being transformed. It's being built up. As I've said many times today already, worship changes us. One of the things, probably the highest level, I'm going to say this a couple more times too, haven't said it so far. If I was going to say, what is the highest form of worship? And I probably shouldn't be quite that uh, dogmatic, but I'm going to be. What is the highest form of worship? Obedience. Obedience. There's no better way to worship God than to obey what he says for us to do. Wow. That's worship. That's worship. I want, us to, I want us to look for a moment at, uh, uh, let's go back to Exodus chapter 34. We're going we're gonna to look at, at Moses for a moment. Uh, let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 34. Now, he's on the mountain. He's worshiping God. He's <laughs> it's almost a one-on-one, if you will, as close as he can be without, well, i just say it that way. It's as close as he can possibly be. Uh, Verse 8 of chapter 34 of Exodus. Now, he's receiving the commandments. And maybe let's just, uh, let's start in verse 5. I mean, you could start in verse 1, but I'm going to move on. We're short short of time here. Verse 5, it says, The Lord descended into the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, children unto the third, fourth generation. Watch verse 8. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Worshipped. Now, that goes on, and go down all the way now to verse 29. Verse 29. It came to pass, are you there? Uh, Exodus thirty four twenty nine. It came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Now, now think of that. He's, he's coming down the mountain. He's he's, he's had a one-on-one, this is is a God retreat. I've been with God. And literally, he comes down, and his face is shining. The worship that he'd done, the glory that he beheld, he's literally changed. His face has changed. Wow. You could see that he was different. It's pretty wild. And and that's that's an amazing chapter. We, We need to keep moving. But the other thing that was a result of worship is the lost or evangelized. Many times, I, I, I had read several stories actually just today. One of them was in, uh, I can't remember where it was now, too many things. But but just, oh, I know, I know. There was, a, there was a Jewish woman that went to get some advice from her rabbi about her family was falling apart, and she just wanted to get some spiritual counsel, okay? So she went... <laughs> This this, this is kind of the hypocrisy, and I'm not just picking on this Jewish for right now, but it fits. Do you know what she had to do before she could get some spiritual counsel from her rabbi? She needed to get her dues caught up, her tithes. So what do you think happened to her? She left. And, And as it would be, God's involved in all of this. It's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> she's just walking just you know, just stumbling aimlessly, really going across the street. and it happened to be that uh, what's John MacArthur's church? Um, what's the name of that? Grace Grace to you, Grace? I'll just call it Grace, Grace Bible, okay, I think it is Grace Bible Church, isn't it? Yeah, so they were actually just going into a meeting, into a, a worship meeting. And here comes this woman, and she's actually caught up into the crowd. She says, I don't have any idea what happened, but all of a sudden I'm in this place and they're talking about worshiping God. And as a result of two weeks going, she accepted Christ because she was watching true worship take place. Worship will not only change us, it will not only edify the church, it will literally change the lost because they see what worship is all about. Isn't that cool? That's the way it's supposed to work. True worship changes us. So, now, how do you get prepared for worship? Or do we just get up and we're ready? We're right, we're ready to worship. Let's what we would do is we would go to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. We have two things left. You guys, oh man, time is cruising. You okay? You got time in your hands? We have two things to do. So I'm going to really cruise through Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, and then we've got to look at three barriers to worship. These are really important. Those last ones are the most important thing we'll come across today. But let's go worship preparation. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Are you all there? I'm not. I'll be there in a second. This is a passage of Scripture. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture beginning at verse 21 through verse 25. Uh, and having a high priest, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of good. This is literally because of what Jesus Christ did. Now, he is our high priest. Watch verse 22. This is what I want you to pay attention to. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Just hang on. That's over the top. We'll come right back to it. But let's keep reading. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, For he is faithful at promise. Watch now, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you're gathered here today on a Sunday afternoon, it's extremely important. That passage of Scripture right there is telling it's extremely important for us to be gathered because we need energy, we need fuel, we need to be on fire for Jesus. Because we're not strong enough to go without this stuff. We need each other. But now he gave us in verse 22 actually some things to get ready for worship. Verse 22, we're going to go through it real quickly. Number one, it says, let us draw near. In other words, this is we're coming to, to worship. Let us draw near with a true heart. A true heart, that's a sincere heart. Matches up perfectly. Is my heart sincere today? Am I really sincere in my worship, that's number one, a true heart, sincerity. Number two, a full assurance of faith. In other words, is it according to truth? We could put down fidelity. What is fidelity? Tell me what fidelity is. Fidelity to life, it's an insurance company. No, no, what's fidelity? What does that mean? Faithfulness, Faithfulness. to adhere to truth. Again, looking to the word of God to, to firm us up, to anchor us in the sense of being ready to worship. A full assurance of faith, Fidelity. Number three, it says our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now think of that. The result of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. His blood literally take away the stain of sin. Does that not make us humble? He did all the work. Humility. Are we humble? Are we really focused on what Christ did for us? Again, it's part of the motivation. And number four is our bodies washed with pure water. Now just because we've been saved... This, this is a little bit, it, it's, it's almost together, but it's different. In other words, your eternal future is fixed. When you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, your sins are forgiven. You are standing on the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what you are standing on to get to heaven. Okay? But you know what? Your feet still get dirty. You're walking in the world. And you know what we need to do? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He who is faithful, he is faithful to forgive us our sins to those that confess our sins. And we need to confess those. That's what David was saying in Psalm 139. Hey, look at my heart. Search me, God. Search me, search me, search me. Search me. Cleanse me. That's how you get ready for worship. Sincerity, fidelity, humility, and purity. I just jot those down. Now, I said this because this is extremely important. Because you're probably asking, you know what? I don't know if I have really engaged in worship that has changed me. What's missing? There are three barriers. I want to talk. We're gonna. I'm gonna to try to be as brief as I can. But if I if I if I stop not doing this, we'll have missed it. Okay. There's three barriers that keep us from worshiping, and the way we, we want to do is it, it's almost like a pre-worship. In other words, you you need to you need to worship this way before you can really engage in worship. So that's how I'm gonna kind of say them. So yeah, three things. First is the worship of repentance. In other words, if there's something hidden in your life, if there's something in your heart, and you know that you haven't dealt with it, you can't worship adequately without repenting of what that sin is. You can't get it done. That's just the way it is. It's impossible. So you must must deal with that. You know what? Perfect example. Um, Think of David. sinned with Bathsheba. Remember that little baby boy was born. And then he died. Do you know what? You know, I can't go there. I don't know if I've got it written down or not. I think it's in 2 Samuel. Yeah, yeah jot this down. 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's your, that's, your, that's your homework for tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 12. What you'll find is after that baby died, David got up, washed, took a shower, ate, and went to the temple and worshipped. He knew that he was suffering consequences of which he was guilty of. And we must deal with sin. You have to deal with sin to worship God. You must. And the cool thing is, he's okay with that. He's got it all figured out for you. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't ever worship me again. No, no, it's not like that. It's up to us to refresh the relationship. 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9. Secondly is the worship of acceptance. So many people, because of the situations that have come down to their life, I'm thinking of Job right now, okay? Job had no idea what was going on in his life. God did. Satan did. Job didn't. And here comes this messenger and unfolds all of the things that happened on that day. Have you ever had a bad day? You have not had a bad day until you get that day. All his kids are dead. Most of his livestock is gone. Most of his hired hands are gone. And he is wiped out. And what did it say he did? He worshiped. Now, what can happen, and this is, the one, this is the thing that you have to... What did I say? The worship of, um, of acceptance, okay? In other words, the one thing that he could have asked, which is so easy, and that's a question I know I've told you, don't ask the question, why? The only one that's in the spotlight is you. Job worshipped as a result of all of this, but you know what usually separates us from worship? If we don't accept what God has given to because it's all for his good. I mean, it's all for our good and his glory. Bitterness. Bitterness will divide you from true worship to God faster than anything else I can think of. And in Job's life, he was able to look through that and said, I'm going to accept what God has given me. He's given me. He's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, that's easier said than done. Sometimes it takes us time to get through that. But I will find that when bitterness, and that's why if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, I don't remember the verse. It's like 4 verse 29, but it talks about bitterness. Don't be angry too long or Satan will get a beachhead. He's going to get a foothold and he does it through bitterness. I will show you people that are bitter that can't get through it. It is destroying them. And it keeps us from worship. Worship of acceptance. The last one is worship of devotion or commitment. Let's call it commitment. Worship of commitment. What do I mean? What am I talking about? Remember, I asked you one question. You guys okay? We got just a few minutes left. Here we go. Where's the first time in Genesis that the word worship is used? We're going to go there. Because this man was completely committed to doing whatever it was that God required, regardless of what looked like complete insanity. And that is Abraham. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22. We have to read this because I want you to see something that is mind-blowing. No matter what the cost, see, sometimes obstacles get in the way. Some of the problems, some of the situations, we just can't get through it to worship God. Where is he at in this? How does this fit? Well, I'll tell you what, again, the next time that God appears to you in the morning and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him for me. Uh, that's when you can say that circumstances are a little bit tense. I'm going to read real quickly now. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test, is a better word for Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. Offer him there for a burnt offering thereon the one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Abraham rose up early in the morning, he saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Worship. He's about to kill his son and he's going to worship God. He says, I trust you, God, with everything that you have given me. I trust you now with everything that's in my future. That's worship with commitment. That's crazy, isn't it? Those are the three things. I I have to stop. This is the longest I think we've ever went over, but this is it. The barriers to worship are what? Number one, repentance. repentance. Get sin out of your life. Number two, Acceptance. acceptance. Whatever's happened to you, God is fully capable of using it for your good and His glory. Number three, commitment. No matter what it looks like, the cost is just go worship God. And I'm, convinced that people that are not worshiping God today one of those three things have become a really big roadblock in their life and when you can get those gone and by the way God has provisions for every one of them trust me trust me trust me I will never leave you nor forsake you they're all obedience exactly right the highest form of worship is Obedience. obedience obedience You see how important it is for worship to be part of who we are? Now, the other thing, what we're going to do, we may come back and review a little bit next week, but the next level for me in looking at this, unless God takes me somewhere else, is what better way for us to glorify or to worship God Then through the spiritual gifts that each and every one of you have that has trusted Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. We're going to look at what those are. We're going to look at if you don't know what those are, how you can find them. And then literally, how do we worship God with those gifts? Because that's what he wants. He wants the church to be edified, to be built up and to grow. There we go. Questions or comments? We were really late today, but I'm hoping it was good. To God be the glory, of great things He has done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your beautiful, wonderful mercies that you've unfolded and allow us to not even fully compre- comprehend. But Father, may we learn to worship you. And when I say learn, the more we relate to you, the deeper our relationship in the sense of the Word and the Holy Spirit working within us, using the Word of God to pressed to new levels relationally, that, Father, we grow to a larger and a higher level of worship. Father, may we worship from sincerity. And, Father, if we're not, that you would correct us, that, Father, you would break down those barriers that are keeping us from worshiping yourself. Father, worship is is an ultimate awesome right, a privilege that we have with you. You have set it up that way. Not only do you desire it, but you've given us the privilege to do it. Father, go with us this week. There's many, many pitfalls out there. The world is crazy. Help us not to be conformed to it. Help us, Father, to renew our minds by the transformation of the Holy Spirit working within us, using the Word of God to have truth change us moment by moment. Thank you for the attention of these dear ones, Father, today. We would ask that you especially raise them up, bless them, keep them close to yourself, and as we continue to work through the Word of God, that you would take our hearts, our minds, our lives, everything that makes us us, and use, them, use us to the furtherance of your glory and your kingdom. Thank you for what you're accomplishing. We ask these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.